Listening to this podcast is a beautiful way to gain insight and learn actionable steps that you can carry forward in your own life. But what if I told you there was a way for you to join in on the conversation? Well, here is your formal invitation to do just that. You can tap into a very free online community of like-minded people who came here to do the very same thing you did when you clicked play on this episode, to heal, grow, and expand their knowledge. And they are just as excited to talk about what they are hearing on this episode. I would be so honored to have you join us each week in a live group call over on the Peanut app. And if the thought of having to talk to a group makes you want to bury your head in the dirt, don't worry. Your participation is absolutely not required. You are more than welcome to just listen in on the live pod. If you are new to the Peanut app, it is a safe space for women to connect. Whether you're navigating fertility, pregnancy, motherhood, or just seeking a supportive community, Peanut provides access to that community filled with like-minded individuals who are there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. And they just so happen to have a live podcast feature, which is where you will find me discussing these topics among that community. The link for the Peanut app and my Root and Rise Peanut group are in the show notes for you. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on today's episode and introducing you to this loving online community that I've built. And if you have any suggestions for topics you want to discuss in future pods, I would love to hear from you. Now, let's get into the show. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Root and Rise podcast. My name is Brienne, and with each episode, I intend to plant some seeds of insight, help you water them with love, and send you off with a little extra light to help you root and rise. Today, we are talking about post-traumatic growth and healing from domestic abuse. But first, I would like to acknowledge you, my listener and friend, for being here with me today. You are the reason for this podcast. I appreciate your presence, and I'm really excited to help you root and rise. We are continuing my series for Intimate Partner and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I am a survivor of domestic violence, and I am a very active advocate for other domestic violence survivors. I help co-host weekly calls in the Peanut app. If you need any information for that, I will have a link in the show notes for you, or you can reach out to me to take part in these calls. It's a very safe and welcome place for you to share your story, share resources, and hear advice from other people. And it's completely free. As a survivor of domestic violence, to be able to focus on the subject for the month has been incredibly therapeutic for me. I hope that you gain just as much wisdom and healing from it as I have. My first episode was on how to share your story of abuse or trauma safely. And in this next part of my series, I have a guest with me today talking about post-traumatic growth and not only surviving, but thriving after domestic violence. As always, topics like these come with a trigger warning. I try to keep the episodes focused on actionable steps and advice for you, but sometimes we are learning these through personal stories. My guest, Nicole Miles, is a survivor and speaker who talks about post-traumatic growth, resilience, and trauma-informed practices. We had so much to talk about that this interview will actually be broken up into two parts, with today's focus being thriving after abuse and post-traumatic growth. So, without further ado, let's get into the call. 
Nicole, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm really excited for the audience to hear your story and everything that you have learned in your healing journey. If you could share a little bit with my audience about your story and your past and what makes you so passionate about this. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on Root and Rise. I'm so excited to be here. So I am a coach and consultant and speaker on post-traumatic growth and resilience and uh, trauma-informed practices. But I come to it a little bit differently than a lot of folks get into that area. Um, while I have some training, it is really because I am a survivor of domestic abuse. And I am someone who really had built a life that I thought I, thought I was supposed to have. I think a lot of people relate to that. It was kind of this picture of this life that I wanted to have and I had created it. And so I was a teacher and I had two little girls and they went to birthday parties and we made homemade cakes and they had dance lessons. And, you know, I, I led the bell choir in my church and quite literally down, almost down to, you know, the white picket fence. I, I, had, a, I had a white walkway up to my, my little blue and gray salt box house that I, I kind of built this life. And I was really clinging to it because on the other side of that door, it, it was very dark and things were not okay. And I think like a lot of abuse survivors during that time frame, I kept talking myself out of a lot of the warning signs. I was also in a second marriage, which was doubly painful because I was certain that I didn't want to fail again at a marriage. And so there were all of these red flags along the way. I had numerous warnings myself that I, I kind of ignored those voices to hold this life together. And then uh, I became pregnant with my third child. And instead of that being kind of an instigator for getting out, it became more of a call to stay in because now there was a child involved and I was certain I could heal this whole thing and, and keep this picture together that I was just certain was the life I was supposed to live. My story did not end that way. What actually ended up happening was I ended up filing some restraining orders when things got very severe. And during, it happens to be uh, October because it's Domestic Awareness Month. Um, that also happened to be when I was in court. And I had a my own attorney suggest to me that my judge did not like adversarial women and that having a restraining order against my estranged husband, um, in fact, made me appear adversarial. And so I agreed to drop that restraining order. I was eight months pregnant at the time. And it took 48 hours from me dropping that restraining order to have two police officers knock on my door and tell me that they had what they believed to be a credible threat against my life and that they were suggesting that I leave. And really for the first time, while I had kind of come and gone during this very tumultuous period, I realized I, I really did have to leave for the safety of my children, for the safety of my unborn child, that we weren't going to get out of this. It was going to be okay. And I quite literally disappeared that night. My job, my career, the bell choir, the salt box house, the dance lessons, the whole thing sort of evaporated. Um, we went into hiding. I spent 14 months thereabout living uh, in shelters and being homeless for a period of time. I gave birth to my child in hiding. It was really a dramatic shift from this sort of, I was painting the picture of this perfect life to literally having it dissolve before my eyes in a matter of hours. Um, and I ended up emerging from that with literally nothing but the three children, which I was so grateful to have, and a minivan and no money and no job and no career, and no place to live. And I had to start again. 
And so it was really in that rebuilding period where I learned much of what I teach people now today. Um, I had to do some studying and put a framework around it and understand that there's a process to this. Actually, there's a process to our recovery that I didn't know anything about when I was going through it. And so it took me a really long time, I think, to get to the place where I was healed and rebuilding. But I did. I rebuilt my life. My two older children are flourishing young adults. I have an adolescent child who, you know, is a, is a typical adolescent child, which I consider a, a, a huge accomplishment giving everything thing that we were up against. And, you know, I rebuilt a life. I was a nonprofit executive director after this. Um, I was able to do a lot of things and I'm not special. I think that one of the message I want listeners to know is that I'm not special. I, it, there wasn't anything special about me that made me be able to do this. There were steps that I stumbled into, but now I can help other people so they don't have to stumble into them and they can rebuild their life. And my life now does not look anything like what it did when I was trying to hang on to it. But I I think I have never really been more appreciative or more joyful in the life I have than coming out of this and growing. That is such a moving story to have you walk through all of that pain, learn how you were able to move through it, gain that resilience. And now you have turned around and you are helping other people with that story. I first kind of want to ask for the people who are in marriages, who have kids. I really felt it and heard you when you were talking about how it felt like a failure to leave to step away and how those things almost played a part in staying in that relationship. What advice would you give to somebody who might even subconsciously be staying for those reasons? It is one of the the most difficult things. And I think we go through uh, as abuse survivors, but also when we are in actively in abuse is, you know, is this really that bad? There's a lot of stories we tell ourselves, particularly if it's not always physically violent. What I will tell you is is two things. One, if you are listening and thinking, I might be in an abusive relationship, odds are astronomically high that you are in fact in an abusive relationship. If that has crossed your mind at all, it is for good reason. The other thing I will tell you is when someone shows you who they are, you need to believe them the first time, not the 10th, not the 15th, not the 20th. And if you've ignored that voice hundreds and hundreds of times, and so now you are married and you're in this position and you have these children and you're now thinking to yourself, I've ignored it all these other times, you can start now. It's okay. You can start listening now. Um, But I don't want to sugarcoat things for anybody and say that this is easy, that these are easy decisions to make. They are not easy decisions to make. They are big, huge decisions to make. And they're personal decisions. They belong only to you. But the odds of an abusive situation getting better by you being more wonderful than the version of you you already are, just like if you think you're abused, those results are astronomically high you are, you getting more wonderful and ending that abuse, those odds are astronomically low. And so get a support system, talk. The thing that we don't do when we are actively being abused is we don't tell because we are afraid. We are full of shame ourselves. And the statistics are that it's one in three of us, if we are female or female identifying, have been through some kind of abuse, intimate partner abuse, sexual assault. You have company you don't know you have. And the hardest thing to do is to open 
your mouth and actually tell the story. And I think about the people in my life. I have one friend from that time because I've had to cut off all of my ties, but I, I still have one person I, rem- I I speak to. And it's been a long time for me. Um, I've been gone. And she actually shared with me how painful it was for her and for her husband to have this abusive relationship I was in fully revealed. They had suspected for so long and they didn't know what to do. And I never told them. And there were so many times they wanted to help, but I didn't say anything. So speak your truth. Listen to your inner voice. It is not too late. And don't be ashamed. To be able to tell survivors that or anybody in the situation that it's never too late, such a powerful statement. I know the feeling of when you've been fighting for a relationship and you've been fighting for change, it does feel like a failure to step away from that. It feels like a failure if it's a marriage, if it's a relationship, if it's the father of your children, the spouse. I just hope that listeners can hear this and know that it's not, it doesn't say anything about you personally that you walk away from something that isn't serving you and isn't treating you well and isn't benefiting you in the ways that you deserve. That is absolutely correct. And actually it's one of the steps that we talk about in post-traumatic growth is the education step, which is actually the first step in it, where because we are survivors, we have personalized and internalized so much of those messages. We actually go through exercises to depersonalize them and put different contexts, different education contexts around what happened. Because as much as it is all about you when you are in an intimate, violent relationship, and it is all about you because it is affecting you, it is also not all about you. That your abuser is caring and bringing things forward and projecting things onto you that have nothing to do with you or your failures or any of your flaws. And you are entitled as a human to have those flaws and not be hurt for them, to still be loved. And so that's such an important message to know that you can you can grow and change from this and you can get out. And I can see how hard that would be to, I mean, I've been there. I know how hard it is to take yourself out of that situation, especially when so many abusers blame the person that they're abusing. I know I've heard many, many times in my past that I'm doing this because you X, Y, Z, or you did this. This is your fault. If you hadn't have just blank, you know, fill it in with whatever excuse that they have. When you are the abuser, it is very, very unlikely that you're taking accountability for true accountability for those actions and most likely putting the blame on somebody else. So I love that that's the first step because it's hard to heal when you are taking it so personally. It's hard to move forward in any healing journey when you feel like you're the reason that everything is wrong. I would love to hear these other steps too. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is the tape that plays in our head, right? As survivors, this is the tape that plays in our head. And and one of the reasons why I ended up becoming so frankly enamored with post-traumatic growth was reading these studies and reading these books. So this is post-traumatic growth is not something that I I own or built, although I've built my own unique framework around it. It is a a well-researched psychological phenomenon that has been around since the 90s and people don't talk about it. I'm not sure I understand why they don't. You know, while our abuse statistics are incredibly high, trauma in general is 70% of the US population will be affected by trauma in their lifetimes. That was before we had a pandemic, collective trauma. So the fact that like this isn't 
normal day-to-day conversation still kind of blows my mind, but I stumbled upon this research and what these researchers were doing, it's Dr. Richard Tedeschi and Dr. Robert Levine. They were really looking for what is the difference between survivors who come out of their abuse and out of their trauma and, and really grow and move forward from it and those that get stuck. And it really has to do with the tape we play in our heads. It really has to do with that messaging and being able to reprogram that messaging. So when we talk about post-traumatic growth, from my framework, I use five steps. The first one is that education where we depersonalize. The second one is called loss and limitations, which is often a really hard place for trauma survivors to be. And it's why I don't typically do a lot of post-traumatic growth work with people who are really, really close to their abuse because you're not ready for this piece yet. But one of the things that we don't do well in our society is honor loss. We like to kind of sweep it under the rug. It happens frequently when I go speak somewhere. Almost nowhere do I speak where someone doesn't come up to me and say, you must just be so grateful to be alive. Well, yeah, you know, I am, I guess. But also, you know, those things that I described at the beginning, that life I was hanging on to, I loved those things. I loved my career. I loved my home. I loved the life I had built for my children. Outside of that abusive phenomena, the rest of my life was something that I loved. And I have a beautiful life now that looks nothing like that. But the space we don't make is for me to grieve the old home, the old community, the old church, the old career, and also still appreciate where I am. And so in loss and limitations, we get a chance to do that. We then move to strengths, which is a lot of fun because a lot of things that trauma survivors, you stop learning and knowing anything about yourself. You kind of disappear into that abuser's world and you are an incredibly gifted human and you become actually trauma really does distill us into our truest, purest selves if we stop to think about it. We usually haven't had the chance to stop to think about it because we've been trying to survive. But when we get away from that, what I call that thrivership piece, part of it is knowing what true strengths distilled out of us during that trauma. I'm a a girl from the Midwest. I was very much raised in kind of a patriarchal setup. I I was meek. I was introverted. I really did want to make everybody happy. And it turns out that part of what I had buried deep down inside of me was a kind of a tenacity I did not know existed. And I found that in my trauma and it saved me and it helped me rebuild. And it's a part of me that would have been recast as aggressive or would have been recast negatively. And I would have put it down had I not had this trauma. But in strengths, we look for those pieces of ourselves that that have really arisen. And they're not always kind of big, loud strengths either. Sometimes they are interpersonal skills or learning to listen or finding your creativity. There are all of these other things that happen. And so we get to examine them. And then we get to take those first three steps and we get to build them into narrative. That's the fourth step. So we get to retell our story, understanding the situation we've been in, understanding what we did lose, and understanding what we gained in our own strengths. And then we find a way in the final step to apply those things, which is my version of thrivership. And so that doesn't mean as wonderful as it is that I've started my own consultancy and speaking as phenomenal as it is that you have a podcast, it doesn't necessarily mean something 
as big and loud as that. It can be the way you're parenting the next generation of, of your children. It can be the way you're interacting with your neighbors in your community. It can be taking your humor to, you know, the hospital ward. It could be something small, but profound to you to really de- really determine what thrivership looks like for you. And that's really what I get to when I do post-traumatic growth is what is thrivership. So really anybody can follow those five frameworks. And I think it ends up reprogramming the tape that's in our head. It's not that we're not still going to hear it. It's that we can hear it differently now. Those are such great coping skills to provide somebody. I know, like you said, you will continue to hear that tape in your head. It will be there for a while. I I still have it. I can't tell you if there's an end date on it. But what I do know is that when I left this relationship versus now, I have so many more coping skills that allow me to listen to that tape and view it differently and be able to take care of myself in the ways I need, cope with those triggers and be able to thrive. I love that your program deconstructs that and takes you through that process. That's really, really beautiful. And I love that you hold space for the good and the bad. What you said that people are like, well, at least you're alive, that it's the toxic positivity. People want to know that there's a happy ending. And it's like, yes, there is, but there is also what led up to it. And there's what is left of it because it remains for us. And that's okay. And I love having that normalized. I know when I started my healing journey, I felt like one day I would just reach this destination of healing (laughs) and it would all just go away and I would never think about it again and life would be great. And I was continually disappointed over and over and over every single time I was triggered, every single flashback, every time I had to start healing again. <laughs> yeah, I I have come to think of healing as remission. It's it is absolutely no journey. I I, I no destination in that journey. I've I've had that same feeling of like, is it gonna be better ever? Like it's better all of the time but it's not gone. And so I, I keep that with me and I'm still, I'm still healing. I'm, I'm a lot of years out of, of my abuse and I, I'm still healing and I'm still growing and still learning about myself and making peace with that was a huge piece of this journey for me that I am, I, I have also, I was asked at a conference with advocates for domestic violence. I was asked if I would always consider myself a survivor. And I said, well, you know, it's a binary to me. I'm either a survivor or I'm not a survivor. And so I'm a survivor. Yes. Yes, I am. The healing is not binary though. The healing is I'm, I'm feeling healed. I'm feeling less healed. I'm feeling more healed. But what I have like you is that bevy of tools and perspective that I can fall back on. So I don't mind telling listeners, I I had a a really scary experience um, in the last month or so. One of my talks was put online. Um, I have a different last name now, and and I've been sort of living under the radar for a long time. But as I've grown my voice, that that was inevitably going to change. And I did tell people I, I wasn't frightened by that idea. But my abuser found one of my talks online and released a whole series of comments and the poor purveyors of this talk ended up having to shut the comments down and report threats and then get a hold of me and say, you know, these things have happened and we think this might be the person who abused you. Um, And, you know, then I have to look, I have to go through and read those things. And that's a huge trigger 
to have somebody reemerge in, into your life like that. And it definitely was. And, and it was that Darvo technique. So if you're not familiar with the Darvo technique, that is, you know, deny, accuse, reverse victor, victim and offender. So that it's a very common abusive technique where the abuser denies that anything happened. If it did happen, it's the victim's fault. They accuse the, the victim and then they reverse the roles. They themselves are, in fact, the victim. We've seen that play out countless times in the media in the last couple of years as well. This is a really common thing and it's what he did. And even though I couldn't hear his voice or see his face, I could hear his voice and see his face. And so I really did have to kind of go back into that healing space, dig out my resilience tools, my self-care tools, and work my way through that because, you know, these things come up. And sometimes they're not as acute as that, but learning along the way to be kind to ourselves when those things happen is really important. And understanding just like when you're in an in abusive relationship actively, you are not flawed. You are not flawed if you have not quote unquote gotten over it yet. That is not a thing to me. That is just, it is just not a thing. You should put it out of your mind because it's not that you can't have great joy. I have great joy. I have so much joy in my life, but also I will have those dark moments and it's how we handle them that allows us to actually experience the healing. I feel so seen and so heard. (laughs) I definitely still have some of those dark moments and the voice in my head, my own main girl tells me, you should be over it by now. You should really get over it. It's been how long you have this beautiful marriage, this new life, this new home, like just let it go. And it's so relieving to speak with another survivor and to hear that validation of what I tell myself in my good moments. That's right. (laughs) Because we have those good and bad moments. That's right. And it's making peace with the fact that we will have those good and those bad moments. And that those have to have equal space, just like our loss and our strength have to have equal space in our recovery, uh, in our continued healing. Those things have to both be present too. You know, I think of that Leonard Cohen, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time is, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. You've got to have those cracks and and we're going to have those from time to time. We're just, we're going to continue to have those because that's life. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. But when you get those things, you you do get amazing light on the other side. So before your episode airs, I have a reposting of an episode I did about sharing your story safely. I know you talked about your fears and your most recent experience. I'm curious how you overcame your fear of your abuser finding you or hearing your story. I know that when I started my podcast, I the hypervigilant part of me did all of my research to make sure I talked with lawyers. I checked all of my boxes, but it took me a very long time to get over the feeling of poking a bear by starting to share my story, especially so publicly. So I would love to hear what your experience was like with that when you first started sharing your story. Yeah. So um, the, the honest answer to that, Brianna, is that I don't get over it. Every time I go into a room, I, I play that tape of how frightening that could be um, and that this could be the time. I think the new chapter for me is that it finally happened. And, and you know, I'm still here. The most compelling reason for me to tell my story really is that it was the silence that kept me where I was. And I cannot allow for other people. I have two grown daughters myself. And certainly intimate partner violence is not just towards women. But as a parent, I I can't allow for that generation to not know 
what to do. It is still a process from time to time. One of the things that I do and focus on, and I think you've done a really good job as well, is that I don't actually talk about the details of my abuse. And for years and years, people would come to me and say, you should tell your story. It's so amazing. I rebuilt my life and I would share a little snippet with somebody. And I didn't want to tell that story. You know, there needs to be no more Lifetime movies made of, you know, women, Nancy McKean playing us on television, you know, escaping under darkness. And I don't mean to make that trite in any way because it's certainly not, but these stories need to be about more than what happened to us in those moments. They need to be, uh, in my opinion, about what happened after. And those stories belong to us. The choices we made during our uh, abusive relationships, those stories also belong to us. And so what I don't do and what I make the conscious decision to do is, is to not give him air. He got enough of me during the time we were together and I rebuilt and, you know, really the, the Darvos event is the most I've really ever spoken to him about him or that situation. It's because it was so very recent, but I don't, you know, I don't reveal time. I don't reveal the place. I don't reveal any of those kinds of details in part as a, as a protection for all of us, but in part, because those aren't, those aren't the important parts anyway. For people who need to hear the story, nobody needs to hear the details about what happened to me. They need to hear the details about what they can do to stop the things that are happening to them from continuing to control their lives. And so when I get that feeling, when I get that sick pit in my stomach feeling of like, you're going to go do this again, you're going to air this, you know, I am a good Midwestern girl, as I mentioned earlier, we don't talk about these things. This is not proper dinner table talk. You sure don't talk about it with strangers. I really still have to fight that narrative a little bit, but it is a fight worth having with myself because I think it's important that people know you can not only, not only can you survive it, but you can transform from it and it can be beautiful. There's nothing about, there is no, this didn't happen for a reason to me. I'm making reason out of what happened to me. And that's how I kind of put that voice to bed and say, okay, I hear you. You've been heard. My turn now. And I'm so grateful that you did because you have so much value to offer. I wish that I had had you when I was going through it. So I'm really excited to be able to offer you up on a gold platter to anybody who's struggling with that or struggling with that beginning of the healing journey or anywhere along. I can relate to everything that you're saying and I'm, you know, over 10 years in and your resilience. I would love to talk more about your resilience because it isn't truly inspiring. But we are going to have to save that for next week's episode. So make sure you are subscribed. That way you don't miss it. If you want to help make a difference with survivors of domestic violence, please share this podcast with anyone you know who might benefit from hearing these messages of hope and healing. If you are suffering from abuse or need resources to heal, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 if you are in the United States. You can also visit loveisrespect.org where they have a phone call, chat, or text option if you need to contact somebody. If you are outside of the U.S. and need resources, I will include some in my show notes for you. You are also more than welcome to reach out to me if you need anything. Thank you for tuning in to the Root and Rise podcast. 
As always, I am so grateful to have you here with me today. I hope that this has brought you some insight and inspired you to root and rise in your own life. I love hearing from you. So please follow me on Instagram at Root and Rise Podcast and be sure to send your comments, questions, or just reach out to say hello. I love making new friends. If you would like to review notes on today's episode, head over to rootandriseblog.com. Make sure to subscribe. And if you loved what you heard today or know someone who would benefit from hearing it, please take a screenshot and tag me to share this on your social media. My name's Brienne, and until next time, I'll be sending you so much light so you too can root and rise. <laughs>